Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody, disgusting network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. And welcome to another episode of the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. I am your host, Jen to the Rage Adams, and I am so excited because we are talking about all things spooky fiction, horror, literature. I'm so excited. I'm joined by a very special guest, but I also have a loser who is joining me. So Dan, say hello and tell us what you're reading right now. Sure. This is Dan, Boy in the Valley. Caffrey, uh, which I'm not reading right now, but I did read Boys in the Valley based on the recommendation of this book that we'll be discussing today, and I loved it. Uh, what I'm reading right this second, though, is um, I found someone who has all the old Aliens comics, so I'm Ooh. making my way through those for Halloweenies because Aliens is our next season. And yeah, I was glad to meet this person because these are very hard to find now. So I have this big stack of Aliens omnibuses uh, on my desk. And also uh, Later by Stephen King, which is the last Stephen King book I need to read. And I'll have read all of them. Are you uh, going to be reading the sequel Gator um, after? Wait, is there one called Gator? No, Later. but I'm going to make the Later Gator <laughs> oh, joke God. every single time we bring that book. <laughs> I found out something interesting about that. So I was at the Florida Aquarium a few months ago. And I was with a friend and we were talking about the difference between crocodiles and alligators and how it's hard to tell. And this kid was next to us and they said, oh, well, the alligator is the thicker snout and it's U-shaped. And the way you remember that is see you later, alligator. <laughs> and so, so I've actually used that phrase as kind of a mnemonic device to know the difference between alligators and crocodiles. So oh, it's not wow. just a joke. It's a way of biological education or zoological education rather it's science when you said see you that's i didn't think later alligator was gonna <laughs> was gonna be how you finish <laughs> that sentence next. but that's a little window into my soul yeah. what um, are you reading I, I am reading legion um william oh, peter yeah. blatty sequel to the exorcist i have i'm listening to it and it's great i really enjoy it i've had the hardest time getting into it not because it's not good but just because my brain is very busy with october right now um but it's yeah, also I'm, a little like denser than The Exorcist. Like, I feel like it, there's more preamble um, going yeah. into it. But I do love that book. I, I love both those books. Yeah. Well, and we are joined, I, I teased it earlier, we're joined by a very special guest. I'm so excited. We are going to be talking about her book today. We are joined by Sadie Hartman, also known as Mother Horror. And we are talking about 100 horror books to read before you're murdered. So Sadie, say hello and tell us what you're reading right now. Hi, and thank you for having me on the show. I'm currently reading a thousand things, but I've narrowed it down to just a few to talk about. Um, I'm reading All Hollows by Christopher Golden with my Fable Book Club. Um, it's very Halloween. It's very, very Halloween. So it takes place on Halloween night. We have kind of a round robin of characters that are being introduced and their plans for Halloween night. Um, we're sort of getting like some inklings as to something sinister going on, <clears throat> but we're only about seven chapters in. So I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm excited. 
Um, and I'm also reading um, a folk horror novel um, from Inkshares, and the author is J.F. DeBeau, I think is how you say his last name. Um, it's called A God in the Shed. And the prologue had me immediately, like these kids are playing around in the woods. They come across like a hollow inside of a tree with some eyes staring back at them. A kind of golem-like creature crawls out of it and wants to play with them. Like it seems very innocuous. And so they keep making visits out to the woods to hang out with this creature and play games with him, but it turns violent. And that's the prologue. And then we go into a police procedural where there's some investigators in a small town figuring out why there's so many missing people in their small town and why people are dying. So that sounds incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah that all hollows book. My sister-in-law saw that in a free little library and she was like, does this look like something you'd want to read? And I said, yeah, it sounds great. I didn't know anything about it. And she said, she sent it to me, but I haven't gotten it yet. So now I'm going to ask her because I didn't know much about it. I'm just like, yeah, it looks Halloween. It looks fun. So now that you're recommending it, I'll follow up with her. Yeah, I think it came out like way earlier this year. And I immediately read the synopsis and was like, this is going to wait till Halloween. <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, and so we're talking about modern fiction. And I, to be honest, when I saw the title of your book, 101 Horror Books to Read Before You're Murdered, which I love, I was expecting some Stephen King. I was expecting some Clive Barker. I was expecting sure. some Shirley Jackson. And I was delighted to only have seen like a couple of titles that I was familiar with. And I've joked on this podcast because I'm a big fan of audiobooks. Before I discovered podcasts, I would just listen to Stephen King audiobooks over and over and over again. And I kind of cycle through my favorites. And so I'm not great at branching out. And so I'm curious, I what made you want to focus specifically on new books and kind of leave what we consider maybe I would call the old masters or the old guard kind of aside? So when the editor, um, Alexandra Murphy, approached me with this vision for this book, um, in conversation surrounding the whole concept, um, I Googled best horror books, you know, or list of best horror books. Um, and there are so many available lists on the internet that I didn't want to be redundant, first mm -hmm. of all. Second of all, I feel like the classics and Stephen King and Clive Barker and just like everything that we've cut our teeth on um, that came out, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, to include those books would be a massive daunting task to narrow that down but also save room for modern horror and I just didn't want those books that people are already familiar with and are already recommended on the internet so freely to squeeze out titles that I feel are important um, to be reading right now just to catch up with what's going on in modern horror. I was going to echo what Jen had said about um, I'll admit when I saw the title I was like, all right, here we go. I'm sure I've read, you know, a bunch of these and sort of thinking I was some expert. And I, uh, <laughs> Justin Gerber and I were texting about it and I, we were texting like how many we've read. And I'm like, I think I've maybe read 10 of these books. Um, I had read some of the, you have these wonderful interludes where you recommend like an author's whole body of work, like Stephen Grant yeah. Jones and Paul Tremblay, people like that. I had read, I had, I think I'd probably read more of those than I had the, you know, the officially listed books. Um, I was trying to see too, which, 
I would say of the old guard, like the closest is probably like Robert R. McCammon, right? I mean, with with the but it's a new book from him, The Listener. It's not like Swan Song or uh, The Wolf's Hour or anything like that. So even with some the handful of of uh, more established authors, did you make a point to include newer books for them rather than yeah you know, something from the eighties or nineties? Well, it's interesting. I wanted to go with like my context and be really authentic to myself. And um, my first book from Robert McCammon was The Listener um, oh, because cool. I'm a reader reviewer and I have partnerships with a lot of indie presses and traditional um, publication houses. Um, they, I was sent The Listener um, when it first came out and I read it. I loved it. I thought it was amazing. I'm like a huge fan of the coming of age subgenre, um, which that is. And so I was talking about it online and people were like, well, you've read Boy's Life, right? And I was like, no. Um, so that the listener started me on my back catalog of reading Robert McCammon books. And same with Joe Lansdale. I read The Bottoms, which is a fairly recent for him, went back and read a bunch of older stuff. And so because that's my context, I feel like other readers are going to relate to that as well, because, you know, I was born in 76. So, you know, I made my way through Stephen King books, but, you know, to have all of that read by the time you're an adult is ridiculous. Like anytime I make a list or talk about horror or whatever, there's always something I forgot. Like people will be like, oh, I see in your list, you forgot such and such. And it's like, how widely read do you think I am? Like, I, how could we possibly read the entire genre of horror? Like, at some point, we have to go back and read gaps in our journey. Mm-hmm. I also love that. I don't love it. I ironically love, like, how could you forget when, like, <laughs> there's no way you could list every single book that, that you yeah. would want other people to read. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's an extremely daunting task to create a list anyway, because obviously people's mileage is going to vary. Um, you know, there's going to be people who who think certain books are trash versus, you know, books that I didn't read or left off that they thought were, you know, the golden epitome of horror. Um, and that's just kind of the fun of being readers in a community of people who love books is that it's so diverse. Like we're all coming to the genre with our different worldviews and perspectives, and it's going to be completely different. And we can learn from each other um, versus like slapping people down for what they like and what they don't like. Yeah. Was- something I love about the intro of the book is how you set that up and you say horror, like any genre is very subjective and it uh, you include these, um, I pretty comprehensive parameters as far as, oh, this book is this, this book is this, which I think helps guide you. And I love that you're like, yeah, you may you may read one of these books and hate it. I mean, there were two of them I read on here that I, I wouldn't say I hated them, but I was like, okay, these ones aren't quite for me. But then I read these six that are very much for me. And then I started to figure out, oh yeah, I like horror involving um, young kids that kind of coming of age horror, you said like Boys yeah. in the Valley, like The Listener. Um, and that kind of helped me figure out some of my own tastes. So I thought that was such a, neat way to lead into it. I was going to ask, I mean, you kind of hinted at it, but yeah, have you gotten people online that, I don't know, are kind of trollish or being haters and and are like, how could you not include Salem's Lot or something like that? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, somebody, I think like quit reading the book because I immediately said House of Leaves isn't going to be on it. Like I prefaced the book (laughs) with it. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. (laughs) It's just like, you guys, 
nothing is universally loved. Um, like our relatives and our family are not universally loved by everybody in our family. You could love your grandma. Somebody else has a totally different relationship. Okay. So even grandmas aren't universally loved. Um, a book is not going to be universally loved. Like there's going to be people who love it or hate it. Ch people hate chocolate ice cream. People love chocolate ice cream. Like I don't get I, it, but it happens, you know, <laughs> like it. Yeah. I just didn't like it. And it's okay. Mm -hmm. You don't get to take away my horror card because I didn't like house of leaves. Like that's just not, it's not, it's not how to be a responsible, like well-meaning person in a community of readers. Like we need to give space to everybody for their opinions. Totally. And I love that you, you preface it like that. You're like, this is, I'm not going to recommend it because I didn't enjoy it. And I just, I like, I feel like I'm screaming at the cloud saying like, I didn't <laughs> like it and it is bad are completely different statements, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I've struggled to get through House of Leaves as well. That's a daunting book, you know? <laughs> so yeah, you have to really like homework. I think like you have <laughs> to want to work for your experience, which is, I mean, I could probably pick that book up now and have a different experience. And that's uh -huh. also the cool thing about books is they don't have a shelf life. They don't have an expiration date. You can try, try, try again. I've read Stephen King books, like you said, multiple times and have had wildly different experiences based on age and circumstance. I have not tried the House of Leaves yet. I, I should at some point. It's kind of... It's it's kind of one of those oh not framed as a horror book but it is a horror book things mm -hmm. right I feel like I was I always heard of it as this very literary almost like uh, Infinite Jest Thomas Pynchon kind of postmodern thing but then people I talk to now are like no no it's pretty freaky so um, yeah anyway I yeah I know this isn't the House of Leaves podcast but it, that's <laughs> on my list to I, I know nothing about it other than it like switches formats a lot or something so yeah I should try it at some point it's very yeah, like I mean, it's fun to thumb through and look at the pages I do I really enjoy that yeah but it has an uh, a concept like it has a format mm -hmm. an experimental format you know certain pages spiral you know so you have to read it by turning the book around and around and around you know to read it yeah um so, I mean, it's just very experimental. It didn't work for me at the time. It possibly could again, but that's just something I learned in my reviewing journey, like early on is that I don't feel like it's my job as like a fan to um, be critical in like a professional reviewing situation. I think my job as a reviewer for me, other people might have a different experience is to give a well-rounded experience from my own personal reading journey with that book and then talk about who that book might be for because every book I feel has an audience so if it didn't necessarily resonate with me I could say but fans of x y and z might really enjoy this book you know it's not my job to be like this book sucks and no one should buy it or read it <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's not right. how I work Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like 
filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to Factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at Factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Well, and that's one thing that I found really interesting. So let's, um, for listeners that maybe have not picked this up yet, we can maybe talk a little bit about the structure of it. It's divided into a bunch of different, like I would say more big umbrella categories with subgenres. And then each book has its own page where you kind of, you're very good about not spoiling anything, but like letting us know what we're in for. And I really enjoyed, like, I feel like I know what I'm going to, what to expect picking these books up. And I know there were certain ones that I was like, Ooh, that one sounds great. And others that are like, maybe not for me right now. Like I'm going through, I'm kind of coming out of a phase where I was very sensitive to children in danger in the genre and that's probably because of my having my own young kids and now that I'm kind of moving out of it I'm like hmm, maybe I can I can try a little bit of that but also maybe not so much in the mood for a pandemic novel right now um so I think you did a really really great job of kind of letting like speaking to the audience for the book and maybe the intended audience and and kind of sharing your experience with it you know I uh, do not read the, or maybe if you are ready for children in peril, read the laws of the skies, Jen. That was one I read from. No, don't. My my God. I may give it a year. I just got through Pet Cemetery for the, all the way through for the first time since having kids. Yeah. Yeah. It it was, yeah, it was awesome. But like, and it's only like 130 pages, really slim. And I was, my jaw was just kind of on the floor for most of it. Just has, it just starts and you're like, whoa, okay. Um, But yeah. Yeah, so there's not trigger warnings necessarily, um, but like in talking about like themes of the book or different subject matter, it's like, I don't think an author is really trying to set out to ruin anyone's day. And when someone is reading something that is particularly sensitive for them at the time, like a lot of books that we're reading have to do with like marriage infidelity or um you know uh pregnancy issues you know or fertility issues and like if you're going through a struggle like that could be really hard I mean there's a whole website too called does the dog die in this Uh because people are severely traumatic over a dog death they have lots of trauma so you know it's just being informed it's not necessarily like like there I don't put trigger warnings or content warnings because a lot of us are triggered or you know, have sensitivities to a lot of different things. So it would be hard for me to be able to list them all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think just like major topics that are a big part of the story are, you know, safe to talk about just mm-hmm. to let people know what they're getting into, like you said. Yeah. And so on the side of all of these pages, you have like, and I think you called them like themes and style and, and I think they're really great descriptors without really telling us what's going to happen. And I, I I have a kind of a love hate relationship with trigger warnings sometimes too. So I completely agree with you. Um, I also like, I was very sensitive to like gore and skinlessness in, in stories. And now I find that I crave it because there's something about the experience of just having that. It almost feels like it's like a gentle little punch that doesn't actually hurt, you know? So I I definitely think there's a time and a place for that kind of stuff. Um, But I was curious about two of the descriptors. So we are a Stephen King podcast and you do not include any Stephen King in the book, but you do describe things as a Stephen King ish. 
Mm-hmm. And so I was, I loved that. What do you think makes something a Stephen King-ish novel? Yeah. So Stephen King, like, it's hard for me to even talk about him without being like emotional. Like sometimes <laughs> my husband's like, if you were to meet him, do you even think you could talk? And the answer is no. I think oh, I, I would, would die. <laughs> yeah. I think I would cry. Um, you know, he follows me on social media and a lot of times I just try to ignore it. Like he follows me on Twitter and I just ignore it because to Mm -hmm. think about it. Yeah. To think about it is too much for me. Like it changes the way I, I talk. Um, so he has been so influential on my reading journal journey in general, in my life in general, um, in the way that I approach horror, um, that everything is kind of seen through that lens. And so when I read a book that kind of gives me that settled in feeling of being with him in a story, I take note of it. So like in particular, you talked about Boys in the Valley, that book really felt kingish to me in the way that he set it up, in the way that he dealt with the kids, in the way that like he didn't pull any punches with the scares. And so it's just kind of what gives me those King vibes, I guess, is what I qualify as Stephen Kingish, though, you know, the coming of age in particular, Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, there's something very, even King books that I'm not as big a fan of, there's something very familiar about them. Like, for instance, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not the hugest fan of Sleeping Beauties, but there's still, you do know it's a King book when you start it because there's this kind of inviting you into the town and sort of checking in with everyone and just really, regardless of length, just getting to know the characters a bit before you set them off on this journey. Whereas something like Laws of the Skies, for instance, uh, which I'll say is it's about a bunch of six-year-olds who get uh, are on a camping trip together. That just kind of starts you right away. You know, you go in and it's um, before you, re- you're almost getting to know the kids' personalities through what happens to them rather than having any kind of backstory. So yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying with that. Very opposite, but also similar in some kinds of ways. You also have Clive Barker-esque. How would you categorize that, at least in relation to the books that you're recommending in your book? Yeah, I don't have like a vast knowledge of Clive Barker's books, just to be completely transparent, but I've gone through the books of blood because I really like short stories. I also have read The Halloween Tree like a billion times. I mean, not The Halloween Tree. Um, the, <laughs> now I'm drawing a blank. Oh, the uh, Thief of Always. Or... The, Thief, the Thief of Always. Oh, oh Always. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. my first Clive Barker I read way too young. <laughs> yeah, so I I really enjoy um, the fact that he has like a beauty to his prose. There's like a lyrical style that he has. He also really leans into like the body horror, um, whereas like, you know, in in contrast to Stephen King, where Stephen King is more horror with heart. Mm-hmm. I think that Clive Barker can sometimes really just drive in those those body horror descriptions and like the violence and the gore. So Clive Barker-ish would be, as it translates to modern horror, are authors who also really explore the body horror and the beautiful prose and you know less on character driven horror and more on like the intricately plotted um um like worlds almost like he even leans into like more of like a fantasy thing even though Stephen King did too but it's just different Mm -hmm. it's you know it's it's his hellscape is different than King's yeah yeah he's a lot more like surrealistic and cerebral almost you 
Yeah. I feel like King does such a good job of painting a tangible picture of what's going on. Whereas Clyde Barker, like, whoa, what is going on here? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's like a, a gorgeous destruction, I think, yeah. to, like, to Clive Barker. Whereas King, I feel like, really is really great at getting us down into the muck of everything. But Clive Barker, I feel like he's he's showing us all of these wonderful things and then like delighting and kind of tearing them apart, which is I love. Hellraiser is one of my all time favorite movies. <laughs> Um, are there any other authors that you think have a certain kind of vibe to them that you might use to describe newer fiction? For sure. Um, I compare a lot of newer authors to like the foundations of like Shirley Jackson, obviously. I mean, I she her. gives me such a vibe. Like mm-hmm. when you start reading one of her books, you instantly need a blanket and some tea and a foggy night, like it's very atmospheric. And so whenever I'm reading a book that just like comes around and just sort of absorbs me like that, it's, you know, Shirley Jackson vibe. Oh, Shirley Jackson has arrived. Um, so I love that, uh, you know, different Gothic books always remind me of her. Um, and then let's see, I, I try to read like classic horror every October that that's kind of like, how I celebrate Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of my new favorites is Ira Levin, who wrote Rosemary's Baby yes. and Bird Wives. Mm-hmm. His writing, I just like it's hard to find modern horror authors who can tap his vein, but he is so methodically adept at telling a story from A to Z. I feel like that man plotted the shit out of his books. So when I find a book that is just plot for plot moment by moment just wow wow like hitting all the targets that's an Ira Levin you know skill that I think people tap into I I need to read Ira Levin I've never read Rosemary's Baby or or Separate Wives um so good yeah I know I need to I I need to go back to like legendary 70s horror movie I mean I've read The Exorcist right but I feel like there's a whole slew of other other movies that are based on those books that I haven't Mm. read um do you obviously you like all the books that you've included here um but you do get very specific with subgenre like you said um coming of age uh natural horror i mean the books even divide up based on like ghosts and animals and things like that do you have a favorite of those subgenres like if you were reading your own book what would be maybe the key indicators that you would gravitate to uh right off the bat i mean i always love a good haunted house um but I think like if I were flipping through my own book, I would read the chapter on creepy kids first. I <laughs> love creepy kids. Like I remember seeing Goodreads reviews for baby teeth where people were complaining about the plausibility of a kid being that creepy at such a young age. And I was like, what the fuck is this book? I need it right, <laughs> now. right now. Like uh-huh. I remember watching the black and white movie, The Bad Seed with my mom yeah. when I was young. And I was like, why is she so murderous? Like, how did a kid become this gross? And that's how baby teeth is. Like, it is plausible because you know why? It's fiction and we like it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's about exploring like the the possibility, you know, not necessarily like I don't need this to maybe be happening to me in the next week. You know, it's yeah. it's right. well, <laughs> Like kids can be, I mean, we're all parents here. Oh, they can um, be creepy. Kids can be really creepy. Oh, right. I mean, I, I remember um, our, our son's only uh, not even a year and a half yet, so he's still very young. And my son is not creepy, like as a <laughs> his personality is very bubbly and so yeah. fun. But I was sitting there one day with him, I think feeding him or something. This is this is when he was really young, 
and his head was just pulsing. Like it looked like he had like his brain was like Mars attacks or something just pulsing. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? And I got worried at first and I looked it up and I'm like, and it was like, oh no, that's perfectly normal because the pieces of their skull are fusing right. together and the muscles and right. brain. And I'm like, oh, good to know. And uh, so once again, I'm not saying he's like the kid in baby teeth or the bad seed, but that was a very disturbing kind of thing. And I was like, oh, kids can be very disturbing, just like adults can be very disturbing. Yeah. I mean, kids can say really messed up things too. Yeah. Like um, they're almost like dogs, how like a dog, it's like a quiet night, nothing's going on. And your dog will suddenly be like, huh? like, what is in this house? <laughs> kids are the same way. Like, um, I remember one of our kids would run into the room in the middle of the night talking about something he saw or like a dream he had that would freak me out. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, or one time my um, sister-in-law was telling me that uh, my niece, when she was like, I don't know, seven or eight would talk about this dark angel that would like come into her room sometimes. And I was like, why? Like, where did that even come from? And she was like, I don't know. We don't talk about angels really. Like, especially not like a dark angel. Like where would that even come from? So that's like entirely screwed up. Oh, I remember when my daughter was like two, I walked into her room one time and she was really upset. And I was like, what, what happened? And she just pointed to the corner of the ceiling. And I was like, mm. and I think she was telling me the light went out, you know, but I was like, oh, my gosh, there's, there's a demon there that I just can't see. She did yeah. elaborate when you she did she not elaborate, <laughs> you know, at the time. Yeah. And I, I may have just been too freaked out to actually ask her. I was like, OK, we're just going to turn the lights on and then and then move on. Well, so is there a particular subgenre that scares you more than others? Oh, yeah. So demon possession's my thing. Um, I, I <laughs> so scary. Like, I stayed away from the Exorcist book for a really long time because the movie was so traumatizing for me. Um, but then when I finally read it, it is like equally scary. Like, I I really like both uh, versions of the story. Mm -hmm. Uh I I think that not having agency and the idea of an evil entity coming into your body and kind of like taking over it while you diminish and it grows stronger is a really, really terrifying idea. Not to mention the only real remedy that these books suggest could save you would be like a strong faith in God or religion, which is just really, you know, nobody really knows or at least I don't like where they land in those kinds mm -hmm. of spiritual realms. So, I mean, it's always just been a scary trope for me. Um, recently, Stephen Graham Jones said in the introduction for the indigenous horror anthology that just came out, it's called uh, Never Whistle at Night. He said that demon possession is very familiar to him and to Native Americans in the sense that it's like colonization. Mm. Um, I will like never look at demon possession the same way because it it is like taking over your the homeland of yourself, mm -hmm. your place, your being, where you exist. So yeah, that terrifies me. Yeah, there's like no safe place, you know. Yeah. I've, I've, the Exorcist. I've just read it and watched the movie, and so it's very fresh in my mind right now. And I think about so much of that story is framed from the priest's perspective, you know. But the and I think it's easy to forget that there is a little girl that gets that loses her agency, you know. Yeah. 
I read uh, based off the recommendation of your book, Come Closer, um, which mm-hmm. Stephen Graham Jones, we had him on the show a while back. And I think he, I think that was the first time I'd heard of that book. He recommended it on there. And it's almost like the counter of the Exorcist book because it's all, it's all first person. It's all from the woman who's oh, being nice. possessed. And it's great because the chapter will just kind of go on and on and you'll find out something happened. She doesn't remember it, but then she sort of confirms it at the end. It's like such a cool device. And it's that it's like demon possession almost necessitates an unreliable narrator to some extent. But um, then when the book shows, no, it actually is possession. Like all these books do, it can be be super freaky. Um, one of the most interesting things you brought up in the uh, the forward of the novel is, or the novel of the uh, the nonfiction book you have is, you don't like watching horror movies uh so yeah I, I, I you might be the first i know people who love horror movies but don't love horror novels but not yeah. so much the other way around so yeah we just could you expound on that a little bit and yeah. um does that cause challenges for you ever in the world of fandom i'm sure it sounds really counterintuitive um but let me be an evangelist for this <laughs> <laughs> no please please go for it yeah okay. um I feel like reading and viewing are completely and totally and utterly different. Um, I feel like reading is a solo experience. It is me and me alone, whether it's audio or reading the words. um, It's really just an experience that I'm having by myself in this book. I mean, very rarely are people listening to a book at the same time, right? Um, And the writer, it was a solo experience for him as well. He wrote the story. He was by himself. She was by herself. They were by themselves. They told you a story. You are receiving it. It's kind of a relationship between two people, maybe at best. And then you can talk about it later, but that's the talking about it. Um, Movies, however, are experienced in community, typically, you have other people with you or you're in a theater. There was also a community of people who brought it to you. There was actors, there was directors, there's visuals, there's faces, there's music. Like it's a very different experience that's happening externally versus in here. I cannot control anything that's coming at me visually and audio wise, like with the music and the jump scares, and the way it's making me feel, I'm out of control. In a book, I feel like I'm setting boundaries that I don't even, not even like aware of. So the the visuals I see in a movie kind of like stay with me a lot, lot longer mm-hmm. because they're not mine. Um, they came from a director and the actors and all of the special effects. So it's just, I have to be really careful. Like, Hereditary screwed me up for weeks <laughs> after I saw it. Can't okay, for that. weeks. Oh. I slept with the light on for at least three days, where I was not okay. Um, yeah, that's a rough I, one. I do watch like every Stephen King adaptation. Like I watched the Boogeyman that recently came out, and like I'll go out and see something that I feel like I can handle. But my kids kind of filter it for me. They're all adults. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have like a 26 year old a 24 year old an 18 year old they're all horror junkies and they'll be like no mom you should just skip this one <laughs> that's good that's they're awesome. almost like you're they're like a living version of your book but for movies they yeah say, okay this this and this yeah I'm that. not educated in the movies at all do you ever see an adaptation coming out of of a book that you loved and be really tempted? Like I'm thinking about The Cabin at the End of the World, or do you ever hear kind of discourse about it? Because that is pretty substantially different from the novel and think like, I really want to see it. Do you ever kind of have a tug of war and 
or just not seeing a, an adaptation because you didn't want to go there? Yeah, I did see that one. Um, and I will, I, so it's mostly like demon possession movies for sure are a big no for me. Like the new <laughs> Exorcist Believer, I saw the trailer and I was like, no. Really so it just really kind of, I do, I actually do see a lot of horror movies, despite the fact that I say I don't watch, it's just like, like Nightmare on Elm Street, like all of your typicals, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I just, I've never seen those. I just mm-hmm. have not, slashers oh, wow. are a big no for me, but I did see Scream. Um, you know, like the witch movie. Um, oh yeah. I loved that. I, I loved Wyatt sort mm-hmm. and it kind of reminded me of Slewfoot a little bit, uh, the book Slewfoot by Brahm. So like I do, I venture out. I just mm-hmm. know my limits. I'm very into that. I think that's so important as a horror fan too. You know, like I was of, like I said, I was avoiding stuff with kids in peril for a while because it's like, I'm just not really ready to go there. Um, I also, I, my kids are younger right now. And so I just do not have as much time to sit down with a physical book in my hand. So I do audiobooks a lot. So I'm curious, do you enjoy audiobooks or is it that same kind of, feeling of watching a film where it's like it's coming at you and you can't stop it you know I love audio I just recently fell in love with audiobooks <gasps> um just very recently so I have a new rule of thumb that I'm going to try to do I don't know if I can do it with everything but all of the books that are written that have like a very historical fiction or um, you know, is written by a Native American or BIPOC or whatever I'm going to listen to the audiobook because I feel like it's such an immersive experience to get all the accents correct, all the pronunciations of the names and the places, to have the, um, you know, the reader or the narrator who speaks the language and has like an accent of the people who actually live there. It's such a different experience. When I'm reading it, I'm tripping over all those names. You know, I'm not doing it justice in my mind. I read Sylvia Moreno Garcia's Silver Nitrate and had a wildly good time listening to it versus reading it. I feel like it was a great experience. That's a great rule to have. Yeah. Like I'm thinking about listening to Stephen King reading Needful Things. And that's how I learned what Aya sounds like. You know, I'd say A-Y-U-H on pages for years. And there's just something about like the author or somebody so related to the story, I feel like really is able to capture the heart of a story too. How, wait, how is it? Is it Aya or Aya? 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 You oh, just say how, it real oh, fast. Yeah, that's, that's different than I, yeah, that's Aya? funny. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, this is just a, a totally tangent question based on something you just said. What is, because I have uh, a couple of brown books like The Child Thief and Krampus. What is Slewfoot? I don't I think I've heard of that one. Oh, okay. So it's a for right now book. Like mm-hmm. right now, you have to read it. Um, okay, great. I'll put it on hold. So, I know, I'm about to go download it from Libby. <laughs> we, so readers just recently put this book, I don't know when it came out, a while ago. It was one of Tor Nightfire's, I think, first uh, releases, maybe. Um, and it, we just put it back on the New York Times bestseller list. Like readers are gobbling it up again because it's so good for right now. It is illustrated by Brom. So Brom is a phenomenal uh, illustrator, you know, just mind-blowingly good artwork, which is inside this book. But it's about um, a woman who is married and they have a great marriage 
and they live on a farm and they live in like a Salem, Massachusetts kind of place. And he passes away and she wants to be like, she wants to do right by her husband who has passed away. And she wants to take over the duties of the farm. But there are men in the town who feel like they want this land and that she isn't going to do a good job. So they want it back from her. And she's like, no, I, I'm going to do this. And then what ensues is an epic battle between the some of these townsfolk and her. And then what ultimately happens is so cool. It's the witch book you've always wanted. There's not enough of them. This one kills it. I will say they're a trigger warning for a cat death. Okay. Because I know that that's important for people. There's a gruesome death of a cat, but the, it is Halloween vibes all day long. Full okay. I'll, so when, good. and then I have, cause I, I read Krampus every few Christmases, um, which is not related to the horror movie Krampus, although they did come out at the same time. So there was confusion there. Um, but yeah, I will have to check that out. I love Brahms artwork and uh, yeah, I like his prose too. Uh, Jen's a cat person. I, I like cats too. I'm a cat I can person, handle their deaths. Yeah. I don't know if Jen it's a bad one. I skimmed it to be honest. Yeah, do you? That, yeah. That's you know I can I skim a couple of like Mr. Chip's death and um it you know I yeah. I skim over that one but I love witch stories and I completely yeah. agree we need many more of them. I'm dying for Stephen King to write. An, a witch story so i you had me at it's great for right now and now i'm like i i'm yes, downloading immediately it. after because i'm so excited it's well, and so vibes i wanted to so one thing i wanted to ask about that has been bouncing in my brain since i read this book and i just died when i read this you said women are overqualified for the horror <laughs> genre which is so like i completely co-sign 100 can you tell me more about that yeah, I was just explaining this to my husband because there's these <laughs> jokes about women liking true crime that just completely miss the mark. Like, I think people think we're just being macabre or that we love the gruesome details. For me personally, like listening to true crime podcasts and like watching those documentaries and reading horror is relating to my context as I live in this world. Like, we are the prey and everything out there is the predator. It's the same for children, you know, walking mm -hmm. around the streets. We frame our complete existence totally different than a man. The way we walk down the street, where we park our car, holding our keys in our hands, waiting to be attacked. And when we're listening to true crime or reading horror, it's information. Like we are doing our homework. Oh, she got in this car with this guy she barely knew. Oh, he said this, that's a sign. This is a red flag. Like, these are things I should not do. Like, it's homework for me. I'm learning. I'm profiling. Preach it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I find like, I I'm curious about your relationship with true crime, like, because the difference for me and why I tend to, I think, go towards horror more is because you know, I can tell myself this didn't actually happen. And so I sometimes find true crime to be more affecting to me or more horrific, even if what is happening is not actually as scary. So I'm curious how, how you experience reading true crime versus horror fiction. Yeah, it's true crime is not like a huge uh, amount of my reading time. Um, but I, if, if I go on walks or something, I do like to listen to true crime episodes and again, it's just because I feel like it's tools, it's information. Um, and truth is always stranger than fiction. Like 
I just read a book called The Last Haunt by Max Booth III. It just came out. It is very Halloween related because it is about a true story about a guy who had a Halloween attractional thing that he did in his town and somebody died in it. Kind of one of those like extreme haunted experiences Mm -hmm. like sign a waiver or something and they're going to do things to you. And now it's actually a Hulu documentary, if you want to look it up. I just watched it, actually. Oh, did you really? Mm Mm-hmm. I did, yeah. So, yeah, this book is based on that. Ooh. Okay, say the book, the title again. It's called The Last Haunt. The Last Haunt. Okay, I'm going to talk. Yeah, by Max Booth III. Um, And that's just where I think, like, so much of our horror seems far-fetched or ridiculous, but the headlines are more so, like... It's unfathomable the shit people do to each other. It really is. It's very upsetting. Um, yeah. And I also wanted to ask, because you, I feel like you make a point of including um, female authors, but also authors of color, members of the LGBTQIA community. And you also have some guest essays in the author, or I'm sorry, in the book. And why was that important to you to include in the book? Yeah, the essays are really important to me because I feel like there are things I wanted to say about what's going on in horror, but I didn't feel like the right person to say it. I wanted it to come from um, a voice of somebody who has experienced it for themselves and could really talk about it in a in a way that um, would be informational and straight from the source. Um, so I chose people who have something really important to add to the genre and to the conversation about the genre um, that that I have heard them say or have learned from myself and wanted them to teach it again for the Mm -hmm. sake of the horror audience now. Um, Like, you know, there's so much to say about like the emergence of more queer representation in horror. Um, There's, you know, way more people of color um, getting signed and and having agents and, you know, blowing up the scene in that regard. And it's really a correction of what has been tragically neglected for so many years, you know? So I just thought it was important to, if I was going to have a cross-section of modern horror to make sure it represented everyone mm-hmm. because horror is for everyone and every reader is a person who needs to be seen in horror. Yeah, and I do think what's well, funny, you know, we said before about some of the quote unquote, you know, the old guard who are not included in the book, and it's not because you don't like them or we don't like them or whatever else, but it, they they have gotten their due to an extent, right? And I, th- you know, we can always do better, but I do think in modern horror conversation, say there is a bit of more of an effort to have those underrepresented voices out there. And I love that like a guy like Stephen Graham Jones has gotten as big as he is and that he's just the tip of the iceberg for indigenous horror authors. I mean, full disclosure, I think he's the only indigenous horror author I have read so far, but then based on his recommendations and the anthology and your recommendations, you can keep on going down and it's like a genre in and of itself. So I think that's just such a smart and important way to go about it. Mm-hmm. Um, we have just a few more questions. This one's actually from uh, Sammy, who uh, was supposed to be here today, but unfortunately, she's a little bit under the weather. But we are going to ask it for her. Uh, okay, so Sammy grew up near Greengrass or near Grass Valley. Uh, Mike, who is one of our co-hosts, also also went to your local theater and reported back spooky vibes, uh, which we hear the area is known for. Are there any spooky stories from your childhood, from growing up there, and have you picked up similar b- vibes around that theater or that environment? 
Yeah. So uh, people who have grown up in and around Grass Valley and the foothills of that area know that it is a gold rush town. Um, so a lot of the local ghost stories and history had to do with, you know, m mining in that area. And it's filled with like old mines. So anytime you would go as like, um, you know, a tourist and visit the mines and you could see like some of the mine shafts and you could see like the long connected um, kind of carts that they would sit in to kind of truck down into the mine. And it's filled with all these somber faces of men with like their lamps and they're going down into the belly of the earth. There's so many ghost stories about like past, uh, you know, collapsations of tunnels that have happened. And then the miners, you know, their ghosts haunting that mine when they reopen and, you know, just different, um, um, yeah, like just ghost stories of that area having to do with, with the gold rush and, and, uh, just the hard times that that was too, of like building a prospect town. Like there's a lot of bad stuff that happened. Yeah. That's even just you describing that image just alone, even aside from any ghosts or whatever, of you know, people's face kind of staring through this cart that's going down there. It's kind of, Ooh. yeah, gives me the creeps a little bit. I've never visited there, so maybe I should make a, a trip at some point. I know. I'm going to have to search it out and find out some of these stories because that's so cool. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of like a, a an often forgotten, like American haunting kind of story too, you know, but there's definitely a lot of, a lot of shit that went down in those towns, you know? Right. And they're ghost towns. They're called ghost towns because right. literally it would just pop up you know, gold would be found. And then as soon as it, the vein dried up and they would go somewhere else, they would just leave everything, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of creepy towns, I'm going to uh, seg us back to King because, because, you know, we are a Stephen King podcast. Um, we usually ask this question at the very beginning, um, but I got too excited about talking about your book, but I wanted to ask, what is your Stephen King origin story? Are there particular um, titles that you love? I know you mentioned short stories. Um, are you a fan of King stories? So what, just tell us your relationship to King and where it sure, started. Yeah. Um, so I, I stole Salem's lot from my mom's bookcase. That was my Aww. first, which was his second book that he released. Mm -hmm. Um, and I fell in love with how disturbed it made me feel in, in my young quest to read dark and spooky things. I was already kind of reading dark and spooky things. And then that just blew it up for me. Um, then, so just reading all of her books, right. That didn't, support my own library because those are all hers so going through high school I read the Dark Tower series but then there were huge gaps in the series um I think I read like the first three or four that were out and then we had to wait years before the next one and then he was in that accident and he was like oh I need to finish this series so then we got one like every two years or something another one would come out till it was finished um, and so I just started having to build my own King library once I moved out from my mom's house. So I would go to garage sales and thrift stores and secondhand stores. And I started building my collection. I own every single book now. So I've, I've built it. I've read them all. There's a few I haven't like, um, if it bleeds, I read, if it bleeds and I read, uh, Harrington, Harrington, Harrington. Oh, Harrington's phone. Um, yeah, so I I read that. I I think I need a few read a few more in there. Um, I haven't read the uh, the Billy one, the 
Billy Summers. Uh, Billy Summers. Yeah, I haven't read Billy Summers. And then I ju- I read Fairy Tale and then I have not read Holly yet because I just recently read If It Bleeds and I wanted to make sure that I had all the tools to go and head into that one. Um, but I mean, I've been a constant reader since 13. So he's my hero of all the celebrities out there that I could meet and just tell them how much I appreciate and love everything that they've put into the world. It would be Stephen King. Yeah, he's um Jen, you weren't on the interview, right, with him? No, no, no. I know. Maybe <laughs> if he's on the show again, hopefully. Yeah. We have we have a we have a lot, not a lot of hosts, but we have like too many 12. hosts for all of us to do the interview with him. So three yeah. three of the lucky ones got to. So maybe, maybe next time. So exciting. Yeah, I got yeah. to do King Cast where we talked about Lisey's story. That is one of my I like all of his underrated stuff. I like revival. Yeah, I, I love Lisey's story. story. I mm-hmm. yeah. I, yeah, yeah Lacey's story is a, is a good one. I didn't like the first time I read it, and then I loved it the second time. Yeah. We talked about it on the episode. That that whole stretch of King is very it, – it's almost like an underrated decade or something um, because there's so many interesting books from that era that don't get, I think, the same amount of uh, accolades that, like, you know, Salem's Lot or Cujo or whatever else does. Completely. Yeah, agree. he just kind of went hard on the character studies. Yeah, like, yeah. Kyle's just a long character study. Mm-hmm. McKee, for example, is one of my favorites. Yes. He's just a long character study. Yeah. And as I get older, that's what I'm more drawn to. You know, I will always love Pet Cemetery Misery. Like, and I want mm-hmm. something that's going to really scare me. But I, what I keep coming back to King for is the characters and how he can really kind of get into the heads of them and, and help yeah. me kind of see what connections we have um yeah i i say he's my favorite person i've never met (laughs) maybe someday i'll say he's my favorite person i have met um where can our listeners find you can you tell us a little bit about nightworms and do you have any recommendations you weren't able to put in the book that you think we should read right now besides slewfoot which i have downloaded (laughs) (laughs) nice yeah Um, So I am the co-owner of a monthly curated horror subscription company called Nightworms, and we send horror out to our customers every month. So during COVID, I mean, we really grew by leaps and bounds because bookstores were closed, libraries were inaccessible. Um, How are people going to get their modern horror, you know? So, and people were just like, can we not just use Amazon for everything? Um, so Nightworms was great. I mean, we were researching all of the horror, the wheels haven't fallen off of the production line. So we were able to like get things from publishers still, even though they were working remotely. Um, and so, yeah, we're still, we, we opened that in 2018, I think, or 17 in October, and we're cel- going to celebrate our fifth year here pretty soon. Um, so yeah, that's, and it's a very small boutique subscription service. So it's not entirely open all the time. We have a little window every month, um, that people can sign up. We have tiny space for this, for people to, to join. So those sell out quickly. Um, and then, yeah, people can follow me on social media. I'm not as active on Twitter anymore because, yeah, yeah. Twitter. The um, X is the X factor, yeah. But Bookstagram's kind of my home base anyway. Mm-hmm. So I'm on Instagram at mother.horror. Um, and yeah, I have a sub stack and a Patreon. Patreon has been really a lot of fun. I Every single Tuesday, I gather all the new horror that has come out on every publication day 
shovel it into my Patreon. We talk about it. We do buying links. We talk about what we're buying. We, you know, celebrate it. And then every Thursday I do themes and tropes. So we talk about favorite themes, favorite tropes. I mean, it's really just a recommendation thing. I do behind the scene things there where I interview authors just for Patreon. Um, I was recently at the Merrimack Valley Book Festival and I interviewed Eric LaRocca and Jennifer McMahon and Ellen Datlow <clears throat> just for Patreon. Nobody else got to see that. So we have fun. We have fun. Nice. That's so, so cool. Exciting. I know. Well, and so as we're kind of winding down, I have one more question for you. And I think maybe it could be a good way to wrap up. Why is it important for us to read modern horror? Um, I think it's important because like we've kind of talked about, I feel like there's n more voices having an opportunity to, um, you know, share their stories of horror. Um, I also feel like the foundation has been laid with these traditional stories that we've read. And then they're, you know, pushing those envelopes and exploring those tropes in a, in a new and exciting way. So, you know, if your favorite author or whatever is Stephen King, there are a new generation of people who have cut their teeth on reading his books and are telling stories, um, just having built that, you know, he has that foundation and they're using it as a launch pad into more stories that are so fun, you know, like um Josh Mallerman has a story called Pearl that reminds me a lot of like a mash between Firestarter and Cujo um <gasps> it's a pig who has telekinetic abil abilities so you have oh my a god of... <laughs> that sounds so cool right on yeah, yeah it sounds amazing yeah it's really fun so oh and I wanted to do you said a couple of recommendations oh yeah mm -hmm. um, so there's I mean, there's, there's such like a wide variety of like recommendations I could do. Um, but a book that I recently read that I really love that's like super underrated um, is have, does, have you guys read Bad Cree by Jessica Johns? No, I have not. Yeah, I just finished it. You, you were talking about how um, you've read Stephen Graham Jones, but you haven't read um, a whole lot of indigenous horror. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I may have read some more indigenous um, literary authors, but not in the horror genre. He's, I think he's probably the only one in the horror genre that I've checked out. Right. So Jessica Johns is, it's called Bad Cree. And cool. I just felt like it was a really cool ghost story murder mystery. Like she's having these really intense visions and dreams after the passing of her sister. So it's leading her to investigate like what happened to her sister in the woods one night. Um, they thought that she had just like an, a, a brain aneurysm and it was just this fluke thing, but she's coming to realize there was some other things going on. Um, so it's, it's really compelling. It has a lot of the family traditions that they hold, uh, really dear to them. So, I mean, it, it, it really blew my mind and I listened to the audiobook of that Jen. So, oh no, yeah. I, yeah. Sweet. Okay. Yeah. Well, I just wrote it down. So I'm going to download that one too. <laughs> yeah. I think you would like that. Sweet. Um, also, I mentioned Sylvia Moreno Garcia's uh, Silver Nitrate, and that was that was a whole ass thing. Like she is, <laughs> she is one of the smartest storytellers I have ever read. Like the amount of research that she goes into these stories with, but then it's very accessible and and it's not like over my head. But she still is infuses all of that into one story. Man, it's so good. It, it's like 
it's like found footage a little bit like film industry um a a a secret film that had to do with nazi occultism really cool wow okay well i just wrote both of those down i'm gonna (laughs) my list is growing and i just now that i've i've had to read some stuff like i read reread the exorcist and i read legion because of a lot of stuff that is the movies that are coming out but now that i'm done I, it's like the gates are wide open and I'm just yeah. looking through your book and I'm like, oh, there's so yeah. much to read. And I um, it was funny because I was hoping to read like a lot, lot before we talked. And uh, honestly, the library and which is funny, it's New York. So you think they'd have like all of it. Right. But they only had a select number, which actually helped me pare down the list a little bit. But uh, yeah, I have the runes uh, waiting for me today. Ooh, actually, so I'm going to pick love, that up. I, love that book. I know. Right. And yeah, Maybe I need uh, that's a big blind spot for me. And um, I think by the time I've gone through the ones that are available, I will have had maybe like um, not even 20% of, of the books in here read. So it'll probably yeah. be a gradual thing for me. Maybe one day I'll have uh, all 101 checked out, but then maybe there'll be, maybe there'll be a 202 horror novels yeah, right? uh, next time, right? Yeah. Any plans for, for another one? Yeah. I mean, we th- there's conversations happening around another book. I don't think it's going to be like 101 more. It's going to uh-huh. be uh, more niche, I think because there's just so much that was on the cutting room floor for this book that I would like mm-hmm. to dive into. Um, also, I wanted to say that people are using the book as um, like a yearbook when they go to events. So I've been using it that way as well. Like I was in conversation with Chuck Wendig last night. I had him sign his page. I had Eric LaRocca sign his page. John Langan drew like a whole picture on his page. So people are bringing it to events. Chuck said he sees one or two of them every time he goes to a signing. So <laughs> that's so cool. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's like, it's such a gorgeous book. The art is just fantastic, but it's a slim one. It's easily packable. So if you are traveling to a place, like I was able to yeah. just put it in my purse. Cause you know, you always have to have a book in your purse. Um, well, and I want to recommend to listeners, make sure you pick up 101 horror books to read before you're murdered. I read The Hunger based on your recommendation, and I've got like a billion, more, well, 101 more that I need to read because <laughs> I sadly have only read a couple. But that's just like, like I would much rather get a list of 100 books that I haven't read and I've read only one than like, oh, I've got to cross two more off the list. So there are so right. many gems in this book. It is, it's just gorgeous. And it's so much fun to read and just kind of thumb through too. Oh you yeah. Know? It's laid out very handsomely. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. I was, I was in Florida when I read it. So I was traveling and it fit very nicely in my suitcase, despite being very comprehensive. Awesome. Thank you. That's really the goal. Like I, I don't want people to just like, you know, one and done it. Like it's something that you can go back and, and revisit and be like, okay, I need a recommendation. Like let's just check this out and see what sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause there are a couple that I remember. I was like, Oh, I got to read that. And of course now they've flown out of my brain, but it's so easy to access. Like you can go straight to the topics that you want. It's just, it's fantastic. I like, I'm thinking about writing one and I'm like, I'm going to structure it like this. Cause it's just, it's perfect. I love it. Well, shout out to Novelist Plus, which is available through your local library. Cause I definitely cribbed some notes from how they format and structure um, just doing like the tones and the themes and the subjects, like, yeah, you can access Novelist Plus with your library card on a website. Oh, sweet. Oh, nice. I'll, I know. I'm going to write yeah. that down too. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, as this is releasing where it's about to be Halloween. So I wish you a spooky, spooky holiday and listeners make sure you pick up 101 Horror Books 3 Before You're Murdered by Sadie Hartman. 
And thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks again. Thanks for having me. Listeners, that was our conversation with Sadie Mother Horror Hartman. She was such a delight to talk to, and I don't know about you, but my to-read list has just exploded in the best way. I thanked Sadie for joining us, but I also want to thank you for joining us today. Um, Always a pleasure to be in your ears. I hope you are living your best October life right now. Go frolic in some leaves, go carve a pumpkin, go, uh, I don't know, do all kinds of witchy fun stuff, live up the season, and make sure you check out 101 Horror Books to read before you're murdered, and let us know what recommendations you pick up from it. Let us know what you read based on Sadie's suggestions and if you love it, and um, we will be seeing you next time over long days and pleasant nights. Some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. But you know you want somebody to treat you good. This is the end of our show. For now. We hope you enjoyed this production. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more.